Welcome back to the Sex Work Podcast. I'm Michelle. My pronouns are she, her. Hi, my name is Elle and my pronouns are she, her. And today we're so excited to welcome uh, Ko from the Bruin Consent Coalition. Hello, I'm Ko. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm the director of Bruin Consent Coalition here at UCLA. Uh, we're a student uh, advocacy group for survivors of uh, sexual violence and yeah we do a lot of education-based work try to educate the community at UCLA and Los Angeles in general as well as some advocacy work and trying to create you know spaces for survivors at UCLA and uh, before we get into this podcast we just wanted to do a little content warning, trigger warning, we're going to be talking about sexual violence. So if you need to do some self-care and uh, step away from the podcast at any time, please do so. And if you need any resources, you will find them in the description. Wonderful. We're so excited. If you go to UCLA, please check out the Bruin Consent Coalition. They're doing incredible, incredible work. Um, Before we go into this podcast, we just wanted to kind of address that this is absolutely not a complete discussion. There's no way that we could talk about everything that needs to be talked about um, within a podcast episode about sexual violence. A lot of the stuff we are talking about will be UCLA specific, you know, the resources, um, et cetera, just because that's the environment that we're coming from. Um, But again, at this point, I think a podcast, or we just talked about it in a podcast, talking about sexual violence can be really traumatizing, especially for survivors. So we wanted to keep this kind of short um, and we wanted to focus more about the language and the actions and narratives that uphold um, systems that basically perpetuate sexual violence instead of just talking about sexual violence itself and all the um, statistics and such, just because it, again, can be super traumatic. Um, So yeah, we just wanted to put this out Hopefully this conversation continues after um, this podcast, but you listen to it and it sparks a lot of ideas on how as a society, as yourself, you can um, implement better practices. We wanted to basically honor Sexual Assault Awareness Month, bring awareness to this really important topic um, while also treading on the edge of caution in terms of trauma. Um, Yeah, we're going to start with some definitions just so we all know what we're talking about and there's not a language barrier. Yeah so we're just gonna get right into definitions. Um, Again we are talking from a UCLA perspective so these are definitions that are set by the university um, so it can come off as kind of an institutional perspective. Um, These definitions can vary slightly depending on where you are, what university you're part of, but we can just clear the air here about how UCLA defines them. So to start off, um, sexual harassment includes unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, or other verbal, nonverbal, or physical conduct of a sexual nature that interferes with a person's employment or education and creates an environment which a reasonable person would find to be intimidating, hostile, or offensive. Next, 
sexual assault is any type of sexual activity or contact that you do not consent to. Third, um, rape is defined as penetration, no matter how slight, of the vagina or anus with any body part or object or oral penetration by a sex organ of another person without consent. And then lastly, sexual violence um, includes false promises, insistent pressure, abusive comments, or repu uh, reputational threats to coerce sex acts. So the, co the coercion is really important um, for this definition. It can encompass non-contact acts like catcalling, whistling, which can often make women specifically feel objectified and victimized. It also includes non-consensual electronic sharing of explicit images, exposure of genitals, and viewing of others naked or during sex without their consent. So talking about sexual violence, we really can't do without discussing issues of race, class, ability, gender, and sexual orientation as well. For example, women and especially trans women are um, of color are disproportionately um, affected by sexual violence. Um, in turn, statistically, most of the perpetrators tend to be straight men. This is not to like discount any experiences of survivor victims whose perpetrators were not men, especially male survivors who are often left out of conversations that we have about survivorship. We're just trying to acknowledge like the disproportionate rate at which women experience sexual violence and the disproportionate rate at which men commit sexual violence towards any gender, like all genders. And it's really, really frustrating to hear people talk about male survivorship only in the context of trying to discount the experiences of women survivors. Um, survivorship is not a gender issue. Anybody can, you know, be affected by harm and we cannot judge survivorship by gender but we definitely live in a patriarchal society, um, you know, where women and especially young girls are constantly reminded and taught that it's on them to protect themselves from being assaulted. So, you know, don't wear this, like don't wear that. At school, there's, you know, codes that dictate how you should dress in order not to provoke your male counterparts. Um, if you're walking home at late at night alone, you should, you know, carry your keys between your fingers. Um, you know, there's so many ways in which we're either, you know, subtly taught that we have to protect ourselves or just outright, outright told. I definitely had a conversation with like my mother where she was like, okay, this is what you need to do. This is what is going to happen if you do not do A, B, C, and D. And men, on the other hand, are also told either explicitly or non-explicitly that they're owed sex, that, you know, sex is for them, that, um, you know, it's on them to, that it's not on them to control themselves, like that they cannot control themselves, um, and that it's on them to punish anybody that is being provocative and not fitting into, you know, social norms of how people should, you know, dress and behave. And this is why sexual violence often falls under a larger umbrella of gender-based violence. And this is why it's important to talk about gender when we're talking about uh, sexual violence. But we really don't want to turn anybody into a number. So uh, it's important to recognize that who is being harmed and 
um, who is doing the harming and acknowledging the multiple levels of oppression that intersect and produce rape culture. And yeah, turning people into numbers can be incredibly dehumanizing. Survivors are people you probably know. <laughs> survivors, if, if you, you know, somebody hasn't disclosed that to you, like it's obviously not, it's really hard to talk about um, sexual violence, even through the people closest to you, but yeah, we're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think that leads really well into um, the topic that we wanted to bring up today, just about rape culture in general and the language that's surrounded um, by us at all times. We believe that like conversations about sexual violence can be really hard, but it's really important as uh, members of the society to be conscious of these narratives and the language that we use going forward. And while this might seem very abstract and very like, oh, this is all theory, in reality, everyday small instances really does have a large effect on the way that we think, the way that we act, and the harm that we cause. Um, and one of the kind of biggest topics that we wanted to address at the minute is just the narrative that, again, as Ko was saying, the burden is on people, specifically women, to protect themselves from assault. Um, and that's just really harmful. Uh, it could be used as a way to discount the, um, someone's experience of trauma and assault, especially in the court system, especially when people are like, oh, but they were wearing this, or they were drunk, or they were doing this. There is no one, this sexual violence is no one's fault except for the perpetrator of the sexual violence. And so again, just these small offhanded comments can lead to a really large and really detrimental impact. Um, in our society and something that kind of we just really wanted to talk about was this idea that perpetrators of sexual violence are like lurking in the street corners and, and we just have to be mindful and hyper alert at all times um, for this random stranger that is going to come and attack you and obviously this does happen but we wanted to address the fact that most perpetrators are people that we already know um, and that kind of this idea really perpetuates the narrative that these perpetrators are like not human and evil and you know we could never know someone who would commit sexual violence when in reality that's just not true those people who are committing sexual violence um are usually someone you already know and i think that's I, one of the biggest reasons why it's so important that all of us as a society, not just um, the survivors, but all of us have to pay attention to the way we hold these conversations and the language that we, re that we use in everyday life. Um, because rape culture is something that any one of us could perpetuate, even if we don't intend to. Um, and the idea that, or the fact that most perpetrators are people we know, means that we have to be on guard of what we say and what our friends say um, because you know sex and can come up in like casual conversations and we can easily and even unintendedly contribute to the mentality that we all share and, and the culture that we all share that can casually objectify people 
and commodify other people's bodies. And I'll be honest, like sexperts, we're the usually sexperts, we love talking about sex. Like if you have been following our podcast, we talk about it a lot. But sometimes we can accidentally talk about sex, especially casual sex, as a very violent thing and dehumanize our partners. Um, and again, even if we don't intend to, it's important to be on guard and recognize it when it does happen and try and take a step back from that. Um, because again, this all just contributes to rape culture. Um, and you know, that and the hierarchy of rape culture is that it starts off as maybe just words, maybe just jokes, but it all leads to it all can like end up growing to actual actions that harm people. Yeah, and I also think like by identifying perpetrators as this like figure lurking in the shadows or this like idea that it's someone you don't know or, or whatever kind of makes the perpetrator seem like um, so far off from, you know, yourself or someone you know or anything like that. And what that does is it, it, me it kind of like puts people on guard, like, oh, I would never do anything like that. Like, I'm not this weird, creepy person standing on like, like lurking in places. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. And it's like, yes, for sure. But I think that um, by by creating this narrative, we, we allow a really large distance between rape culture and ourselves. And we need to understand that we're all a part of society and we may not be you know, actively committing sexual violence, but it's something that we need to be conscious of and aware of, especially when um, survivors of sexual violence are so common and so um, around us at all times. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important to talk about what dehumanizing, you know, perpetrators does and who it serves. Like, it's, it just is very telling of, of who our society, you know, is organized around protecting. Um, it came up with, you know, conversations that we were having at BCC recently with the hashtag not all men trending again. And yeah, I think a lot of the points that came up were just what we've been talking about today at the podcast, um, but also that it just feeds into this, you know, what perpetrators like to use to kind of um, get other, like, especially male perpetrators, like, try to get men to rally around them by sort of saying that, like, creating this idea that women are likely to you know, falsely accuse men of sexual violence and rape in particular, that if they allow a, if they believe a woman's, like, story, a woman's experience, that they might in the future also be falsely accused and their life is going to be ruined in that way. And it just, it's just very harmful and it allows so many people to get away with doing horrible, horrible things, because instead of getting people to think, oh, like, how do I protect, you know, the people that I care about in, in my community, like, how do I protect women in my community, it gets you to think about, oh, how do I protect myself against this, you know, quote, unquote, potential false accusation that apparently all men are going to be subjugated to at one point in their life, because we're just 
liars and women should not be taken seriously, which is just, it's very, um, you know, it acts to dehumanize like survivors in a way of like yeah. also makes us not really people. Yeah, and, also. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I also think like, if you not, again, we don't want to talk about statistics, but statistically, you are so unlikely to be falsely accused of rape. Also, it is so unlikely that somebody would even falsely accuse anybody. Um, it just doesn't happen at the rate that people are claiming it does. You can look yeah, this even, up. Even if him. you're a straight white man, which statistically is like the least likely population to be a victim of sexual violence, um, you are still far more likely to be a victim than you are of being falsely accused. Exactly, yeah. And I think um, a big thing is just like really understanding that this issue of like us versus them is a very societal and intentional um, narrative that basically just aims to protect rape culture. Like it's not, it does not serve anybody except for perpetrators. So instead, like, again, as we've been talking about, um, sexual violence happens, can happen to anybody. And this is a, an issue that we need to talk about as a society, instead of just making it, um, you know, women versus men, like this idea that that hashtag perpetuates is that like women are out to get men, which is so ridiculous to me. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important to just analyze like the way that we talk about it, analyze like what the facts actually are and what is like the narrative that we're perpetuating and why we are talking about things the way that we talk about them. And just like consistently asking yourself these questions because I think we passively consume a lot of media, we passively consume a lot of these um, like institutional and societal ideas that just aren't aren't true and are really really harmful so I think like a really important step to take is just to analyze your relationship to sex and consent and just consistently check in and think about you know okay why am I doing what I'm doing why is what I'm doing making me feel this way what you know what um, is happening in my life how do I think about it um, how do I think about sex? How do I think about people I'm having sex with? Um, yeah, we just live, we, we really do like, I know I keep saying this, but we really do live in a society that makes us believe that like, I don't know, sex is to be something that's like taken or conquered, even the subject of like, quote unquote, losing your virginity as if someone is taking that from you. And it's just really, um, I mean, it all comes down to like, the way that we talk about um, sex is, is just very violent and very transactional. Um, and yeah, it kind of dehumanizes the whole thing and also makes it really difficult um, to kind of analyze if we continue continuously like discuss it in those terms. Yeah, it also makes it really hard to not only keep like perpetrators accountable, but also keep each other accountable. Mm -hmm. And like how we talk about sex, how we talk about sexual violence, how we, you know, if we, if we kind of just put these things on the side, like they're taboo, like when we talk about them, it's very whatever, very pop culturally, like just 
not something to be taken seriously, I think, is is a big attitude towards, you know, conversations around uh, sex or even sexual violence that I've seen. Um, I think it makes it so that we can't really, like, keep each other accountable. Like, if you hear people talking about, you know, something and you're like, wow, that is very, like, insensitive. That is not how a conversation should go about that topic like it makes it really hard for you to be like hey like that's not okay like that's that you shouldn't talk about bodies that way you should talk about other people in that way you shouldn't talk about you know just yeah yeah even yourself in that way exactly and I think a lot of the times people will like get very defensive when that conversation is brought up and be like oh but I would never ever like you know, do something without someone's consent, or I would never, you know, be that person. And that person, again, is that caricature that we talk about, and we like continuously paint as like being this evil, like scary, not even human thing. And I think we need to address the fact that there are so many levels of sexual violence and so many levels of harm. And obviously, I mean, like talking about someone in an objectifying way is absolutely not the same as a, a sexual assault or um, something, you know, physically violent, but they're both harmful and they both have a place in this discussion. I think with that um, being said, I think it's really important just like moving forward um, to read a lot, to listen to a lot, and just continuously kind of unlearn these ideas that we've been taught um yeah we really um I mean that's kind of the point of Sam like sexual assault awareness month is we just want people to take the opportunity to really you know re-examine um what their internalized like beliefs around you know sex and um in general but you know sexual violence obviously is and yeah just try to there's so many resources out there there's so many great organizations that are putting up so many amazing programs and there's a lot literally wherever you know there's podcasts on the topic there's youtube videos there's movies there's articles there's whatever you want you will find like whatever we're constantly consuming like media that is you know helps to further perpetuate like the kind of harmful language and you know victim blaming culture rape culture that we've been talking about so it's you know we should we should try to do the opposite sometimes and try to consume some media that acts to the no counter effect of that yeah, exactly. Um, we wanted to ask you a few questions, Co, if you don't mind. Um, just as like UCLA students, if you want to, um, would you mind like just again explaining your club and your impact on campus? Um, just so, you know, everyone can get involved because it's such an incredible organization. Yeah, thank you. Of course. We absolutely love questions. Um, as, as I said, we're, we're a student. Uh, organization. We're also like sex experts under the Student Wellness Commission. So we're 
mainly like an undergraduate student organization, but we've had, you know, graduate members before, and we definitely welcome anybody from the UCLA community um, to join our space. We have um, like a general meeting space where we just discuss a lot of different topics, like it acts as a space for, you know, coalition building, community building, but also a place to like educate ourselves. We bring in lots of other organizations to like educate us on different topics. Because like I said, like I, even I'm constantly learning, like my ideas about things are constantly like shifting. And if they were not, like, I feel like I'm not really doing a good job at, as being, at being, you know, a director and um, inviting the right people and talking to the right people and consuming, like reading the right, you know, like things that are actively challenging all of these internalized things that I have going on. Um, mm -hmm. And we also have a board section of our organization that tries to put on programs for the general species, like the general UCLA community. So if you're not a, if you would like to be a member, you can just come to our meeting space. We have a Discord, we have meetings on Wednesdays, just show up and, you know, have a great time but if you're just a you know want to show up to some of our events that we put on then you can just follow our social medias we have a lot of co you know co-events with other organizations both on campus and outside of campus and yeah we put on some things that you might know if you've had the pleasure of attending classes on physical campus um Mostly people recognize us from the Clothesline Project, which is, you know, a big project that we put on usually in Dixon Court. There's like lots of t-shirts that survivors have made over, you know, 25 years here at UCLA. So we have hundreds of them and we just put them up across Dixon Court. Um, but yeah, we, we put on Take Back the Night at UCLA. Um, we work with CARE a lot for some of our, for, for some of their events like Purple Thursday, which is usually done during Relationship Violence Awareness Month in October. So you might know us from some of those bigger things. But if you're interested, I would say, check us out on our social medias at Bruin Consent Coalition, UCLA, we're like everywhere. But mostly I think Instagram is very useful because we get to post pretty graphics to help market all of our things. But yeah, just come and we would love to have you. Oh, I would also note that like, we're not like exclusively for survivors. Like we welcome everybody, allies or survivors or anybody. I mean, I would hope if you're not a survivor, you're an ally, um, but yeah. That is so awesome. Um, I have to check out that Instagram and see what events that I can attend, especially since I'm stuck at home and I definitely have the time. Um, we'll be sure to include um, the social medias in the description so you can check out um, the Brewing Consent Coalition. Um, also, I think, I believe we mentioned earlier that we're including resources um, for survivors or just resources for any of us um, to learn more um, in the description. Um, so Cole, if you could like maybe go over like what resources are available Awesome. Uh, yeah, if you're a UCLA student, there are so many resources available to you. I would say my favorite, and I might 
<laughs> I mean, I would not say that I'm impartial because they are genuinely amazing. But the care office that we have here at UCLA, the Campus Assault Research and Education um, office that we have is absolutely just fantastic. The advocates are amazing. The peer educators are amazing. Um, so I would highly encourage you to go check them out. Um, if you need to access any resource in LA at UCLA, it would be very useful to go talk to an advocate first because they are very, like they have, they're very knowledgeable in, you know, what the Title IX process looks like, what, you know, going through the police potentially looks like, what resources might be useful to you, what, um, you know, creating safety plans, like figuring out what to do going forward, like therapy, literally everything. They're very well, they're just amazing people to talk to. So I would encourage you to check them out. They also put on like events for the general, like UCLA population. They have drop-in hours, et cetera, et cetera. Like I could talk for another hour about all the things that CARE does, but if you would like to learn more, just go on their website, which is going to be linked, but just for, no, just careprogram.ucla.edu. If you need just therapy in general, like just to talk to um, somebody, then CAPS is amazing as well that we have at UCLA, the um, counseling and psychological services, I believe is what CAPS stands for. They are very amazing people. They have a 24 seven hotline if you need it. And these, both of these are confidential resources. So that means you can go talk to them and they will not report anything that you said to them. Um, but if you're looking to go through non-confidential research, like if you're looking for reporting options, then we have our Title IX office at UCLA, which will, you know, help you figure out, um, you know, resources and resolutions at, and, like specific to the UCLA community so you know the worst thing quote-unquote worst thing I don't know how really to put this but like the most extreme thing that um, Title IX office can do is like expel somebody from UCLA but if you want to go through you know civil court proceedings or you know criminal court proceedings then you have to file a police report and we have UCPD for that but I would encourage you to go to um, CARE before exploring any um, reporting options because they can be very, you know, they can go with you to these offices as well. And there's many, many, many other resources. So, you know, there's going to be like a link to like a Google Doc. And if you need it, just go through the entire thing and um, see if... We also have student legal services at UCLA. If you'd like to talk to a student, they're also a confidential resource. So if you'd like to talk about a student, about your options, whether they be like Title IX options or you know, the reporting through the police options. But yeah, there's a lot of resources available. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to kind of ask you, I went to a couple meetings my freshman year and I remember there was a committee that was like specifically focused on the university level and like what um, change we can make on a university level. I was just wondering if you know kind of what's in the works or you can just talk about a little bit what change you've seen at UCLA specifically 
or what change we need to make? Oh, that's, that's, that's a big question. Um, in terms of like trying to implement change at UCLA, we, you know, we've done different things throughout the years, like directors typically have, and their, you know, board members have pretty much like total flexibility on like what the organization focuses on. Um, so it might, the way that we work now might be a little different than how we worked when you went to meetings. Um, but yeah, we've done different things throughout the years. Um, one year we were just very focused on trying to get um, more funding for the care office because there's not enough advocates at the care office. And while they have a lot more funding now and we were able to get, you know, SWC to dedicate part of their funding to care, you know, it's still not enough. So hopefully, um, you know, they, we keep, pressuring the university to really um, dedicate, a, you know, lots of resources to the care office because they're doing great work. Um, another thing that we do at the university level that might not be, you know, UCLA specific is just working at, you know, Title IX related things. So back when, Trump was president and Betsy DeVos was unfortunately our secretary of education and they were doing lots of really horrible things to Title IX regulations. We were, um, you know, involved in trying to delay that process by doing like writing lots of letters to the Department of Education. And once the regulations were, you know, put forth, we were working with the um, Title IX office at the University of California level, like UCOP, to try and limit the, you know, effect of the new regulations and put new, um, you know, regulations within our student conduct handbook that would address some of the things that, you know, Title IX no longer covered. And now that we have a new president and new department, Secretary of Education, we're trying to you know, pressure this um, administration to really act as fast as possible, provide um, guidelines on what schools can do um, right now and just, you know, go through the process quickly and try to put, kind of improve Title IX regulations so that they better support survivors um, and people in general. I mean, if we want to talk about Title IX, I could do that for forever. But um, yeah, it's it's. Thank you so much. You, yeah, no, you you all do such amazing work, and I just want to say that personally, I admire you all a lot, and I think the work you're doing is really incredible. Um, so thank you for taking the time to do that. That is very very nice. We love sex sports as well. I think the work that y'all do is also very Aww. amazing. Aww. And yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I just, I've been to a couple of meetings earlier in my career as a UCLA student and they're always so fun and amazing and everyone at Sexperts tend to be just, just wonderful. And yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing and putting on this podcast and it takes a lot of time and planning and editing and you're still doing it and being full-time students at the same time. That's pretty, it's a lot. <laughs>
That's so um, sweet. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Well, just thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think with that, we'll um, end it here and just again encourage every single listener to you know search out resources that are going to teach you more about this topic because um, it's really important to just you know teach yourself and to unlearn a lot of what the media and society has taught us is you know okay and also true yeah i also have access to all of our social medias and so so does my very amazing marketing um director so if you have literally any questions if you would like resources on what you should read or watch or listen to or whatever you you can also just you know hit us up and we will um yeah just we can talk to you if you have questions, whatever. We love questions. I personally love questions. If you have any of them, email us, you know, send us a DM, carry your pigeon, whatever you want. Um, and I will get back to you pretty, pretty soon. And thank Don't you so much it. for having me. It's been wonderful talking to you. This conversation has been so, so good that's not proper grammar but I it's been so awesome to have you on this episode um you really know your stuff as evidence from when you were answering our questions um and yeah of course like Elle said we just want to thank you and all of the work that uh, the Bruin Consent Coalition is doing at UCLA and just for the greater conversation in general um yeah so I guess we'll end it here to the audience um you know Thank you for joining us for another episode. Um, if you were able to listen to the entire episode or you know, however long it took you to um, get through this episode, congrats. Um, we all know, as we've been saying, it's a hard conversation to have. So you know, we just wanna say thank you for the time that you put in to listen um, to what we had to say. And you know, just a small reminder that Again, this is a conversation that needs to be continued way past this podcast. Um, we're just here to be, to just provide the very beginning of it. Um, so yeah, we hope you enjoyed. We hope you uh, learned something. Um, yeah, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.